In December of 1984, a handful of UC Berkeley students walked off campus and down to the administrative offices for the whole University of California system. Andrea Pritchett was a political science major and a fledgling activist. Seven of us, I think, you know, trembling, we said, yes, we're going to go sit down in front of the door and demand a meeting with the chancellor and with the president of the UC system. Their demand? That the University of California pull out billions of dollars in investments in companies doing business with the government of South Africa. The protesters believed the money helped support the system of racial oppression known as apartheid. You're listening to One Bold Idea, a podcast commemorating 150 years of UC history. This story is about one chapter in the long history of student protests on the University of California campuses. In the mid-1980s, anti-apartheid leader Nelson Mandela was in prison, and the decades-long fight to topple apartheid was spilling into the streets. The response of the South African government to the uprisings was brutal. And there were very graphic images coming to us from that part of the world. If people in South Africa could put their lives on the line, could risk it all, then the least we could do is, is act in solidarity with them. And so the students did their small part. They blocked the door to University Hall. And what was awesome was that a lot of people who hadn't intended to sit down sat down, and at that day, 38 of us got arrested. The young activists spent three nights in Santa Rita County Jail. And rather than discourage us from participation, it just lit us on fire. We were just like, oh my God, if that's what they're doing to us, imagine what they're doing to the people in South Africa. At the time, the political atmosphere in the U.S. was very different than it had been a generation before. Ronald Reagan had just been re-elected. People were predicting that the uh, young people across the country had become more conservative. Pedro Nogueira was a sociology student at UC Berkeley and the chair of the Graduate Assembly in 1985 and 86. He and fellow activists, including Andrea Pritchett, tried to spread the word to their classmates. Yeah, we did a lot of educational work. And it seemed like we were getting nowhere. I remember uh, us trying to do these educational rallies on Sproul Plaza, and I remember talking in the microphone to absolutely no one. We had to then encourage people who were either apathetic or not uh, activists to get involved. What they wanted their classmates to know was this. For half a century, South Africa had been ruled by a white minority, the descendants of Dutch and British colonists. Though less than 10% of South Africa's population, they held power by enacting a series of apartheid, or separateness, laws. Public buildings, amenities, schools, and transportation were segregated. But apartheid went far beyond keeping blacks and whites apart. So it looked like Jim Crow, but it was worse than Jim Crow, because you were talking about a black majority that had been excluded, whose leadership had been imprisoned. Black South Africans couldn't vote or hold office. In school, they were subject to curriculum specially designed to limit their aspirations. They weren't even considered citizens. The white minority maintained control because it held the majority of the wealth. Wealth that was supported in part by American businesses. UC had more um, 
uh, investments in South Africa, 4.6 billion at the time in its um, portfolio than any other uh, major American university. Decisions about UC finances rested in the hands of a group of 24 board members called Regents, the majority appointed by the governor. In 1977, UC Berkeley students had called for divestment from South Africa, and the Regents had said they'd look into the issue. Years later, nothing had changed. But the situation in South Africa had. Mounting pressure on the South African government led to some policy changes, but blacks were still denied the vote. Upheaval and violent protests followed. The black townships are still in turmoil. Someone is killed almost every day in clashes with the police. With pressure mounting halfway around the world, the student activists felt it was their time to turn up the heat on the university. To just lean in and to act in service of something that you know is right, and that you know that history is going to judge as having been right. One day in March of 1985, a few months after Pritchett and the others had been arrested at UC Hall, the activists gathered on the steps of Sproul Hall for a noontime rally. We just said, hey, this is a great day to start the sit-in. Let's, I'll go get your sleeping bag and I'll get mine and we'll come out here. And it was very spontaneous. People from the community came and, you know, members of the African community and workers and students and just all different kinds of people converged on that place. And it was like this profusion of creativity and engagement and positivity. And it was wonderful. I had never felt anything like it. The students renamed Sproul Plaza in honor of Stephen Biko, a South African anti-apartheid activist who'd been murdered by the police. At night, the steps were covered in sleeping protesters. And every day at noon, there were rallies. At UC campuses across the state, students started following suit. We want divestment from the regions. We got to keep up the pressure. I think it was on day seven, that the university realized that this was growing and that it wasn't just petering out and that it was getting bigger and bigger. And we were having noontime rallies with thousands of people showing up. And uh, on this particular night, they decided that we needed to go. They arrested about 157 or 158 of us. but the arrests only energized the protesters. We were in jail and we heard that there was 5,000 people for a noontime rally and that Mario Savio spoke that afternoon. Savio, the hero of the free speech movement a generation earlier, took the mic. If they can crush the Berkeley students, they can crush the others too. But they won't crush the Berkeley students. He wasn't the only big name to show up that day. Kurt Vonnegut and Alice Walker and Maya Angelou and all these, just, it's, it was just a parade of stars. And the students came from every corner of campus. 
it wasn't just your typical radical students. It was uh, student government. It was black students. It was Latino students. It was staff on campus. It was faculty. And we had literally hundreds of faculty who came out in support of us. And so we had a very broad-based movement. And this is what made the movement impossible to simply dismiss as a, a group of rabble-rousers. That spring, the Berkeley protesters got a big morale boost when the Bishop Desmond Tutu, a hero of the anti-apartheid movement, came from South Africa to speak to students at the Greek theater. You are quite something else. As God looks down on you today, he's saying, hey, hey, have you seen, have you seen my children in Berkeley? Hey, don't you? Don't you think that they are, they are something else? As a result of the sit-in, the regents met one of the protesters' demands, a public forum on divestment. Thousands of students attended along with several regents. Among the speakers was Andrea Pritchett. Partial divestment, hearings, commissions, studies, reports, they're not total divestment. We are here for total divestment. Several of the regions actually switched their positions to support divestment, but the majority wouldn't budge. To them, the school's investments weren't a vote of support for anything. It was just sensible business. In the year that followed, the anti-apartheid movement gained momentum across the country. Congress passed sanctions against South Africa, but the UC regents and student protesters remained at a stalemate. Protests continued. Some turned violent. But a remarkable thing happened. The anti-apartheid movement had spread. Cities across the country dumped their investments in companies doing business with the South African government, along with two dozen universities. In the 1986 California governor's race, both candidates came out in support of divestment. I, you know, if you were to ask me during the middle of that movement if the university will eventually divest, uh, the apartheid government will eventually collapse and, and Mandela will be released and then Mandela will get a elected president, I would have probably said, I don't think so. But that's precisely what happened. On July 18, 1986, the UC Board of Regents voted to divest $3.1 billion from companies in business with the apartheid government. It was by far the largest divestment by any school in the country. Four years later, Mandela toured the U.S., making a stop in Oakland to give a speech of thanks to tens of thousands. Sisters and brothers, we celebrate with you the imminent birth of a new South Africa in which all shall be equal, irrespective of race, color, gender, or creed. And to see Mandela come and thank us for our role in supporting the effort not only to free him, but to end apartheid in South Africa, was just such a, um, a sign of, of confirmation that what we had done um, mattered and made it, helped to make a difference. Andrea Pritchett now teaches middle school history in Berkeley and serves on the Berkeley Police Review Commission. Pedro Noguera, who got his doctorate at Berkeley, is now a professor in the School of Information Education at UCLA. Oh, si, si, 
Throughout the decades, students like them at UC schools have stood up for what they believe. They stand as an example of the power of students to influence change beyond a campus, even beyond a country. It's a reminder that even at moments when things seem very bleak, that change is possible. Thanks for listening to One Bold Idea. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. I'm Shuka Kalantari. This episode was reported by Kobe McDonald, mixed by Francesca Fenzi, and edited by Graylin Brashear and Ben Manila at the UC Berkeley Advanced Media Institute in collaboration with the University of California.